Hello, and welcome to episode 209 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfor-Stewart. A warm welcome to Andrew C., Sherry C., Erica T., and Craig C. to The Modern Manager community. As a member, you get access to the private members-only podcast that has extended interviews with each guest and an extra-long version of my solo episodes. You can access the members-only feed in most podcast players, so you don't have to do anything special to get it. Once you join, you'll receive instructions for how to access it so you can easily get to the good stuff. It's only $5 per month or $50 for the year, and it's a great way to support me and the show. To learn more about membership and to sign up, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. Today's guest is Tatiana Kier. Tatiana brings her extensive background as an executive recruiter and talent acquisition leader to her work of coaching managers. She has partnered with thousands of hiring managers in a wide variety of industries. She is passionate about helping managers achieve their business goals through effective talent strategies. Tatiana wrote her first book, Hire to Win, a manager's practical guide for attracting and interviewing top talent to share a blueprint for those looking for a step-by-step guide in hiring. Tatiana and I talk about the ins and outs of hiring, how to write a good job description, how to distinguish who to invite to an interview and who to pass on, how to handle reference checks, and so much more so that you can hire the right people for your team. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Welcome, Tatiana. It's such a pleasure to have you joining me today, especially because we're going to be talking about the hiring process, and I am in the midst of multiple hires, and I feel like I really could use this conversation. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so glad I'm coming in at the right time. And thanks for having me on your show. All right. So we all know that hiring is one of the most important jobs that a manager has because it's all about getting the right people into your team so that you can optimize your teamwork and you can do good things, create big impact, hit big results. But hiring is also one of those things that feels like, at least for me, exhausting and like so time consuming and kind of like I'm guessing my way through it, even if I have like all these great best practices. It just, it feels like something that is almost like a burden in the process because I I don't really know if I'm doing it the right way. So I know you have a lot to say on this topic, but maybe you could start by just sharing kind of what are some of the most common places that managers make mistakes where we really don't need to. Like we can really lift the veil and say this this doesn't have to be so hard. You don't have to hit all these common pitfalls. You don't have to, you know, make such a big deal. All this it can actually be a fairly straightforward process. Or tell me that I'm crazy and really it is just this like big thing that's that's complicated. You're not crazy. <laughs> um yeah, honestly, but I will say most managers do feel the overwhelm right? And it is so important. So they, most of the time, they just kind of jump right into it. They're like, I'll just figure it out. Like you said, like guessing your way through it. Just the other day, I had a manager 
come by my desk and say, okay, I'm, I'm looking to hire this role. You know what? I'm just going to send you some profiles from LinkedIn or, or should I, should I look at for jobs and send them to you? I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on. Let's, let's actually slow down and, and talk about the role that you're looking to fill. And I think that's the, really the number one place where you can make the biggest impact of you as a manager, not feeling overwhelmed and also hire the right way the first time. What I mean by that, right, is doing the recruiting intake. So if you think about another analogy or another story, I'll tell you, right, like, and it's something I use in my book as well. You know, the recruiting intake is almost like if you ever wanted to put together a piece of furniture from Ikea or somewhere else, right? Most of the time, we look at the, these directions and we're like, ah, whatever, I'll figure it out, right? And we start putting it together only to find out when we're halfway through or maybe all the way through. It's like, oops, I have these like 10 extra screws. Where do they go? Okay, let me go figure it out, right? So, so right, so it's the directions up front before you do the work. So think about, you know, don't go on a job board and start borrowing other job descriptions. Don't jump into like, oh my God gosh, these profiles just look really good. And I want to move forward with them. Really slow down and think about what is it that you actually need within your team? What are the goals that you're looking to solve? What are you how is this new hire going to help you solve those goals? What does the day to day actually look like? What is success? look like in this job three, six, 12 months into the job, and then start talking, thinking about, you know, what are the must have skills or true deal breakers that would not, where you would not consider that person anymore, right? And that will help you instead of kind of thinking about, well, I need someone who is a great communicator and great in Excel and, and can work as part of a team and also as an individual contributor. And maybe they have an MBA and may, like you, you you'll, you're going to start creating a list of like 20 things if you're, if you're going to jump into that, right? But if you actually really think about what am I looking to solve through this hire and what skills do they need in order to perform the job? You're probably going to end up with three to five at most. And that's good. That's a good thing. You're, you're going to be really thoughtful about it. Once you have that, kind of the second pitfall that most managers have is during the kind of the assessment process during the interviews and so forth, right? Or even before that in looking at resumes, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But if you have a recruiting intake where you really outline exactly what you need, you're going to be able to identify who's going to help you interview, who's going to help you assess those skills, how are they going to help you assess those skills? So in other words, like perhaps looking at specific interview questions and so forth. So you determine that plan before you even start interviewing the candidates, because let's be honest, now the candidates are expecting really fast turnaround. They're not going to wait to see like, well, okay, let's see if I have three interviews, five interviews, 10 interviews. If you have the intake and you've already thought about it up front, you're going to be ready to go and ready to roll really, really quickly. Well, I mean, this makes so much sense, right? Like that you have to start with writing a good job description and knowing what you're looking for. So maybe you can walk us through that piece in more detail, right? So that what do you even put on a job description? Like how much detail and what sections did you include? And, you know, all of those things like that we're trying to figure out what we should be putting out into the world. Yeah. So again, like most, most, if you look at any job boards, you take a look at the job descriptions that are out there, you'll see they're quite vague. 
right? So if you start borrowing from those jobs, you're going to be, you're going to have a very vague job description that will potentially cast a wide net of candidates that you're going to have to go through the resumes and assess. And, you know, you may get candidates who are not right, right? So you want to be as thoughtful and descriptive in your job description as possible. There's nothing really you can't include in a job description other than, look, if you're giving away your business, you know, secrets, like maybe don't do that, right? But if you're, you know, think about what a success look like in this role in three to six, 12 months, put that in there, right? And be really, really descriptive, right? There's a difference between, you know, if you're hiring, let's say for a salesperson, there's a difference between in three months, you know, you're looking to have this person to cold call clients versus saying, looking for you to call cold call 50 clients and per, per week and close at least three demos per week, like something like that. Like as soon as you start being very, very thoughtful about your, uh, about what you include, first of all, the your interview will be a lot easier, right? Because the candidates will know what you're looking for and that, and you will be able to, to ask them very specific questions and you'll scare away the applicants who are not right, which is good. It's great. You know, if you, if you're saying like, look, like I need someone to be cold calling on 50 clients and the person's reading it like, no, I just send emails. Well, okay. Well, there's no mutual fit there anyway. Right. So the more descriptive you are, the better. Now, the caveat is, is the attention span of a candidate is the span of like a gnat. Right. <laughs> you know, where, think, think about where are they applying to jobs? They're probably applying, you know, during their commute, maybe between meetings, you know, something like that. Right. So they're usually on their phone. It's very quick. They, they scan through. So you want to be as to the point as possible and break up the text with numbers. That's why I'm saying very much where if you can put in specific numbers, you will grab their attention, they will see it. And their attention will, uh, as they're kind of scanning through, they'll they'll pause uh, on that number and scan the words around that number. So be thoughtful and, and include as much as possible without putting in unnecessary bullet points, like need to be a good communicator and so forth. Yeah. Are there things like that? Like when we get down to the skill section, so you said like thinking about what are the real must-haves? And it sounds like you're saying, you know, don't you don't need to put in all the like obvious things, right? The things that everybody wants. Like everybody wants a good communicator. Almost every role needs that nowadays because of the way work gets done. So instead, what do you recommend we do to like take that list of activities and, you know, success metrics and be able to like pull up into the skills? I think that's what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. So if you are saying, look, like I need to make sure that we include that they're a good communicator. Okay, well, include what that actually means in your organization. Maybe in your organization, that means, you know, managing up to stakeholders as well as, you know, influencing without authority, things like that, right? Like the more specific Ah. that you get, the better. But think about like the skill of, you know, I, I need someone that that has Excel skills. Okay, unless you actually specify what that means within your organization, then there's no clarity to the candidate, right? To you, you may be saying like, look, I need someone who's expert level in Excel skill. 
And I, I, I say to myself, you know what, I have expert level in Excel skill, but we never talked about what does it actually mean to you? So to you, it may mean, you know, doing pivot tables and VLOOKUPs and maybe like macros and so forth, right? And to me, I'm like, well, but I, I know all the tabs in Excel and like, I, I know how to create a table in Excel. I know how to put data. So I'm an expert, right? But there's misalignment there. Right. Had I known that you're looking for pivot tables of VLOOKUPs and macros, I wouldn't have applied. So the so if you think about that's how detailed you need to be in talking about technical skills like Excel, you need to be just as detailed in when you're talking about soft skills like you know, being a good communicator, what does that actually mean? And how are you going to assess that during the interview process, right? Who's going to assess that for you? Who's going to help? And how are you going to say, you know, they're 10 out of 10, they're six out of 10. What's your measurements? I love this way of being so precise in the skills and in the work to be done and what success looks like, because to your point earlier, right, people will be able to identify, oh, this job is for me, or this job is not for me so that you don't have to do that figuring out as the resume screener or as the kind of in the first interviews. Like it'll just be so much clearer that the people who are coming in, I think, have like self-selected in. But then I worry that like, are we excluding a whole bunch of people that could have applied but get nervous about applying? I don't know. How do you deal with that, especially with issues around diversity, equity, inclusion playing into kind of who who chooses to apply to what kinds of roles? Yeah, it's it's a good question. And, you know, there's lots of studies out there, especially between genders, right? Like how likely are male uh, are willing to apply to a role that is a stretch for them versus a female candidate, right? So it, it's a really great point. But I think where, uh, in my own experience, right, when I had created job descriptions that were really descriptive, I was able to attract candidates and diversely of candidates, but were they were all prepared for it where they're like, you know what, I don't have this exact skill, but I believe that based on, you know, my experience with this other system or my experience with this other company, I believe that this is an area where uh, there's a mutual fit between me growing personally and professionally. And of course, you're going to have to take a chance on me. You will never find a situation where it's like, you know, 100% fit, you know, everything is checked off the box and and everything is is perfect. If that's the case, then, you know, you're going to have to start thinking about well, how am I going to stretch this this new hire further? Because they'll get bored eventually, right? Like, that. What's the motivation there? So you you absolutely need to be conscious about, you know, not scaring candidates away by having too stretch of goals in the job description and so forth. But the more descriptive you are, the better. Think about think about the the compensation range, right? There's lots of laws and lots of expertise that are coming out where hiring managers are encouraged to put the compensation range in there. Of course, one side of the coin will say, well, you're, you're going to miss out on candidates who will see the, the range and not apply. Well, right. But, but if that's my range, that's my range. If, if they're looking for double the compensation that I can't offer, then that's a waste of everyone's time. Right. So the description and the KPIs and what the success looks like is no different. The more you are forthcoming about it, certainly you you will have people who see it and say, you know, I am not going to apply, but they self-select out 
And that's a good thing. Yeah, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm thinking like going back to the Excel example, right? I'm imagining that there's a whole bunch of probably women in particular and maybe also people of color or others who would say, oh, I'm not an Excel expert, even if they actually are, even if they know macros and pivot tables, but they would see themselves in a way to say, oh, that's not me. But if you put this specificity in there, they can say, oh, that is me because it's super clear. So now I'm seeing like exactly what you're saying on the flip side is the more specific you can be, actually, the easier it is for people to say, yes, I can do this or I can do this. It's going to be a stretch. And here's how my relevant experience will help me be able to stretch in these ways. I love this. Exactly it. All right. So let's talk about then the kinds of resumes that you get in. You know, you put out your good job description and now resumes are coming in the door and you've got to look at them and decide who's going to move on to a screening or a first round interview of some sort and whose resume is going to the side for, you know, and that you're probably never going to actually reach out to them. So what, what are all these resumes coming in? What do we do with them? Yeah, I mean, you need to create some sort of system for yourself, right? Like, you're you're going to have to make decisions. Like you said, who are you going to prioritize? Who are you going to just not reach out to at all? Um, so I do kind of talk about in my book, like, there are those folks who blanket their resumes out and sends it out to every job description without even looking at the job description. They just they just typed in a keyword, you know, like executive assistant to the CEO and all of a sudden the CEO job pops up, but they apply as an executive assistant without even paying attention to what they're applying to. If they didn't read your job description, then, you know, look like if, they, if they're not willing to invest time with you, then don't invest time with them. That being said, that's a pretty small percentage of the applicants. So then the the rest of the applicants, they, you know, I kind of break it down to, you know, there are the role players who absolutely fit what you're looking for and what the skill set they have. If you essentially did like a quick, you know, search on the keywords that you have in a job description, the likelihood of this, almost all of them being on the resume is there. So those are the role players that most people are, most hiring managers are attracted to. It's, it's, it's quite evident that they could do the job. Now, the challenge there is the role players, right? They are most likely, you know, will get a counter offer. They're mo- most likely applying to other jobs jobs and so forth. So what you have to start thinking about, and that's where the recruiting intake is so important, is to think about what's unique and special about your company or the role? How are you going to attract this person during the interview process and and continue to raise their excitement about this opportunity? How are you going to think about the development, the continuous development of them? Because there's a reason why they're looking to leave their current job. Maybe they're not challenged enough, right? So So what kind of challenges are you going to present for yourself? So when you think about your own time investment as a manager, that's something that you have to think about. Maybe there's less of a learning curve for this person up front, but they will require time from you at some point later on of thinking about their own career. So those are the individuals, uh, those resumes do get prioritized. um, And I would encourage you to prioritize as well, but just think about how you pitch them on the job. And then there are folks who are kind of the head scratchers, right? Maybe they left the, um, 
the workforce for a while and they're looking to come back. Maybe they are taking a step back f- uh, in their career for whatever reason. And it's easy to dismiss them. It's, it's easy to dismiss those resumes when you're, as a manager, you're trying to prioritize your time and you're kind of thinking about, well, if I'm only going to interview five candidates and I have the five role players, I just don't have time to, to interview those head scratchers. I do say like, look, you may want to interview some head scratchers because a lot of times they have those like hidden talents, you know, that you may not know about. Again, maybe they're, they had a bigger job somewhere else and are looking to take a step back and, and, you know, you may get so much more out of the role, but without actually talking to them first and interviewing them, you just, it's easy to pass them up. So I do say prioritize at least a few of those head scratchers to, to talk to. Okay, so this is really a helpful way to think about the resumes that are are coming in and kind of how to sort them and how to how to prioritize them. And do you have recommendations for like how many people you go put through that kind of first interview screen or kind of that, that initial phone call or kind of what questions you ask to figure out who's going to actually get into like the full interview process and who is just going to kind of stop at that first gate? Yeah, so the number, it's usually something that managers always want to know, like, how many candidates do I need to interview before I extend the offer to? Look, there's no, you know, silver bullet that I can say, like, if you interview three candidates, you will find one that you like. What I say, you know, look, there's grass is not always greener on the other side. If you interview a candidate who is fantastic, who meets everything that you're looking to fill with your job. And again, this is this is why it's so important to do the recruiting intake. And you don't rely on your gut feelings like, oh my gosh, I just like to spend time with this candidate. No, if you're if you're find a candidate who actually meets everything that you're looking to fill and there's a mutual fit don't wait to say, well, let me interview two, three more candidates and compare them. And that's usually where talent is lost, where you find this one candidate who you loved, they waited for two weeks to hear back from you. And by the time that you do get back to them, they already accepted something else. So don't wait, don't wait to try to compare the candidate, really do your homework to do the recruiting intake and be confident in your decision to move forward with uh, with a candidate to go through the interview process. Now, your your kind of question is like, what do you ask during the initial interviews uh, and, and so forth? If you decide on most of the time, right, you're you're going to be not you're not the only one who's interviewing the candidate. You're likely going to have a few other people who are going to help you make the decision, right? Who's going to collect the data points for you and help you make that decision on, on who to hire? So, in the first round of interviews. The, the kind of the, the initial step, you just want to ensure alignment, right? Like I always kind of ask, what attracted you to this to to apply to uh, with us or what attracted you to respond to my to my message if, if I source them? You know, what do you like most about your job? What, what do you want to do in your next role? Really try to find alignment and think about motivation. Make sure there's alignment on like if, if you if you're in the office and this person is only looking to work remotely, right? Like those are the things that you want to address up front before investing a whole lot of time and, frust- and and get frustrated when you find out like compensation is misaligned or expectations are misaligned and, and so forth. 
earth. So those are the things that you you just want to kind of scratch the surface on to make sure it, it makes sense to move forward. And those conversations don't need to last more than 25 to 30 minutes, right? You, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of the first date, right? If you will, you want to make sure like, Hey, am I right for you? Are you right for me? Do we continue? When you continue on, then you want to start digging deeper. You don't want to have, you know, three to five interviews of the same exact, you know, interview questions. Like, tell me about yourself. Walk me through your resume. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Let me tell you how awesome we are. You don't want to do that every single time. So then you want to start getting deep into what's important to you, right? Maybe you have a technical interview where you assess the technical skills of the of this role and this candidate. Maybe you have a stakeholder interview where you assess what's their communication skills. How do they partner as part of a team? How do they work with competing, you know, deadlines and so forth? I also say like, Look, as much as you can do a peer interview or a day in the life type of conversation, because an accountant in one job could be very different than an accountant in another job. An accountant I'm using as an example, right? But the systems that they're using, the expectations that they're having, like you don't want there to be any surprises once the person comes in. I'd rather you make a decision that this is not the right fit during the interview process, rather than having the person potentially leave their job, start here, start with you. And then 90 days in, they realize like, my gosh, like, had I known that this is how it is, I wouldn't have joined, right? So you want to make sure that you are leaving enough room for the candidate to also ask questions and so forth. So that that peer interview is great. If not, what I have also suggested in the past is potentially doing like an optional reverse interview where the candidate is making sure that they're getting all of their questions uh, answered and maybe even seeing the, the culture, maybe seeing the office and so forth, right? So being re- really thoughtful about each interview being different. And then I always say like, look, uh, a manager is in best practice, a manager should have two interviews. So one in the beginning and one at the end. So it's that last conversation. Look, like, let's talk about how do you communicate? Is it via email? Is it in person? Do you like stories? Do you like bullet points? Do you like to get to straight to the point? How do you, how do you work under under pressure and conflict? How do you like to make decisions, right? So now you you dated and now it's almost time to, to, <laughs> to make that proposal with an offer letter. So before you do that, make sure there's mutual alignment between work styles and so forth. Yeah, that, that is stuff that I usually wait and talk to the person after they're already hired and we go into like all of that. But I love this idea of just like starting to get to know them in those ways ahead of time so that you can avoid some frictions if it's just really clear that your styles don't fit. Exactly. So, okay, last question before we wrap up. So reference checks. This is always one of those things where I feel like all you're really going to get is like a bunch of nice things said about this person. And so like, how do you make a reference check? Like, first of all, when do you do it? Because I've heard conflicting things about, you know, some people say do a reference check before you make the offer. Some people say do a second reference check after you've made the offer. You've got it so that the people will actually be more honest with you because they know it's not going to impact the person getting the job. But like, when do you do a reference check and what questions do you ask so that it's useful and not just a bunch of nice fluffy things? Yeah, 
potentially one of the reasons why you're saying like I'm getting some conf- uh, conflicting answers between like you know when do you do when is the right timing and partially is because each state may have different regulations for example in California you actually can't do the reference checks until you exhibit uh, an intent on extending an offer or potentially already extended an offer so you just need to be careful in terms of the timing there and make sure it's consistent across all the roles that you're hiring for now more broadly, I agree with you. Like if you're asking a candidate about like, hey, could you give me three references? The likelihood of that person giving you someone who they knowingly expect will say not nice things <laughs> uh, is very low, right? Like they most likely will give you their friends, people who they have really good relationships with and so forth. So one of the ways is being very thoughtful about how do you frame the directions on um, getting those references? So maybe you say like, I need at least two people who you were uh, directly reporting to. So your direct managers, or I need someone, if you're, if you are a manager, I need someone potentially who's, who was reporting to you. So I can hear from them what it's like to work for you. The best practice that I have seen is actually, again, is that mutual fit, right? That we want to make sure one of the managers I, I was working with, he was interviewing for someone to report to him and he offered to the candidate reference checks on him so that the person who we're hiring could see what it's like to work for him directly uh, from people who no longer report to him. So he's like, look, like they no longer report to me. So they have no reason to say any, any fluffy things. So really be thoughtful and, and take this opportunity to, to ask them questions. So now because he put in that, that forward, like, look, like I want, to make sure that you have all this information from my references to make your own decision. I'd like to do the same. I'd like to get references uh, on you from managers that you reported to. I want to learn from them what it's like to have you report to them and so forth. So he's because he set that stage and it's not about like, I just want to, I gotcha. Like, I, I can't wait to see like something negative that someone says, like, as long as you say like, look, like, I just want to make sure that we're on the same page, that you're getting all the right data points, and I want to have all the right data points. Then the likelihood of them giving you real people who will say real things that may not be 100% fluffy is, is, is higher. Now, the questions that you should be asking, right? What I say is allow the reference person to the, the space to talk about anything that uh, that they want initially, right? Sometimes they will just jump right in and say like, oh my gosh, they're so great. And, you know, they, they've met all the deadlines and so forth. So I, I allow the space because sometimes I learn some things in that initial pitch that I, I wouldn't have asked, right? So maybe it's like, well, they worked really well with their colleagues and, you know, they managed up really well and great. And uh, so I so I learned all of those things that I, I hadn't thought about asking, but it also allows me the opportunity to then dig deeper. Tell me more. And could you give me an example and things like that, right? But some of the consistent mess, uh, questions that I ask are things like, would you rehire this person? You know, what are some of the areas of development that they've been working on in the past? And some very, very kind of uh, similar questions that I would ask with any reference, right? Like, wh- what are they really great at? What What are some of the opportunities that that they can work on? And how can I support them? And again, like, would you would you rehire them? Yeah, I I love these. My favorite question to ask is, under what circumstances does this person thrive, and what can I do to set them up for success? And under what circumstances have you seen them, you know, struggle? And what can I do to avoid? 
creating an environment where they're going to, you know, not do well. And you just get so much good stuff. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, we are out of time, even though there's so much more we could talk about. So Tatiana, can you tell us about a great manager that you worked for and what made this person so fantastic? Absolutely. One of uh, the the best managers that I've worked with, her name is Kate Ettinger. And, you know, I think she just frustrated me in every amazing way possible, right? She pushed me to think more creatively. She pushed me to have a backup plan, you know, for anything that I was doing that could potentially uh, have some um, some fall-offs or, or so forth. And she supported me. She empowered me to do those things. And when I say she frustrated me in such a good way, where I'm like, I thought I was done. And she's like, but have you thought about this? Right. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so great. And then she would let me go and, and explore and, and learn on my own. And she supported me and she was the biggest advocate. Amazing. And where can people learn more about you, keep up with your work, get a copy of your book? Yeah, I mean, you can absolutely, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. You can go on my website on howtowintalent.com. You can get the book Hire to Win on Amazon. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today. This was really useful. I cannot wait to go and rewrite my job descriptions right after this. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks again for having me, Mammy. Tatiana is offering 10 free copies of her book, How to Win, a manager's practical guide for attracting and interviewing top talent to members of the modern manager community at the Sprout level and above. To get access to this guest bonus and many more, become a member by going to themodernmanager.com slash join. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R dot com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.